Section 16 of Lucretia Borgia by Ferdinand Gregorovius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Maynard. Book 1, Chapter 16, Murder of Alfonso of Aragon. After the fall of the Riario of Imola and Forli, all the tyrants in the domain of the church trembled before Caesar, and greater princes like those of the Gonzaga and Este families, who were either entirely independent or were semi-independent vassals of the church, courted the friendship of the Pope and his dreaded son. Caesar, as an ally of France, had secured for himself the services of these princes, and since 1499 they had helped him in his schemes in the Romagna. He engaged in a lively correspondence with Ercole d'Este, whom he treated as his equal, as his brother and friend, although he was a young and immature man. To him he reported his successes, and in return received congratulations, equally confidential in tone, all of which consisted of diplomatic lies inspired by fear. The correspondence between Caesar and Ercole, which is very voluminous, is still preserved in the Este archives in Modena. It began August 30th, 1498, when Caesar was still a cardinal. In this letter, which is written in Latin, he announces to the duke that he is about to set out for France, and asks him for a saddle-horse. Caesar engaged in an equally confidential correspondence with Francesco Gonzaga, with whom he entered into intimate relations which endured until his death. In the archives of the Gonzaga family in Mantua, there are preserved forty-one letters written by Caesar to the Marquis and his consort Isabella. The first is dated October 31, 1498, from Avignon, the second January 12, 1500, from Forli. The third is as follows. Illustrious Sir and Honoured Brother, From Your Excellency's letter we have learned of the birth of your illustrious son, which has occasioned us no less joy than we would have felt on the birth of an heir to ourselves. As we, owing to our sincere and brotherly goodwill for you, wish you all increase and in fortune, we willingly consent to be godfather, and will appoint for our proxy anyone whom your excellency may choose. May he in our stead watch over the child from the moment of his baptism. We earnestly pray to God to preserve the same to you. Your Majesty will not fail to congratulate your illustrious consort in our name. She will, we hope, through this son, prepare the way for a numerous posterity to perpetuate the fame of their illustrious parents. Rome in the Apostolic Palace, May 24, 1500. Caesar Borgia of France, Duke of Valentinois, Gonfalonier, and Captain General of the Holy Roman Church. This son of the Marquis of Mantua was the hereditary Prince Federico, born May 17, 1500. Two years later, when Caesar was at the zenith of his power, Gonzaga requested the honor of the betrothal of this son and the Duke's little daughter, Luisa. Caesar remained in Rome several months to secure funds for carrying out his plans in Romagna. All his projects would have been wrecked in a moment if his father had not escaped, almost unharmed, when the walls of a room in the Vatican collapsed, June 27, 1500. He was extricated from the rubbish only slightly hurt. He would allow no one but his daughter to care for him. When the Venetian ambassador called, July 3rd, he found Madonna Lucretia, Sancha, the latter's husband, Giuffre, and one of Lucretia's ladies-in-waiting, who was the Pope's, quote, favorite with him. Alexander was then seventy years of age. 
He ascribed his escape to the Virgin Mary, just as Pius IX did his own when the house near St. Agnese tumbled down. July 5th, Alexander held a service in her honor, and on his recovery he had himself borne in a procession to Santa Maria del Popolo, where he offered the Virgin a goblet containing three hundred ducats. Cardinal Piccolomini ostentationally scattered the gold pieces over the altar before all the people. The saints had saved a great sinner from the falling walls in the Vatican, but they refrained from interfering eighteen days later to prevent a hideous crime the attempted murder of a guiltless person. In vain had the youthful Alfonso of Picelli been warned by his own premonitions and by his friends during the past week to seek safety in flight. He had followed his wife to Rome like a lamb to the slaughter, only to fall under the daggers of the assassins from whom she was powerless to save him. Caesar hated him, as he did the entire house of Aragon, and in his opinion his sister's marriage to a Neapolitan prince had become as useless as had been her union with Sforza of Pesaro. Moreover, it interfered with the plans of Caesar, who had a matrimonial alliance in mind for his sister, which would be more advantageous to himself. As her marriage with the Duke of Picelli had not been childless, and consequently could not be set aside, he determined upon a radical separation of the couple. July 15, 1500, about eleven o'clock at night, Alfonso was on his way from his palace to the Vatican to see his consort. Near the steps leading to St. Peter's, a number of masked men fell upon him with daggers. Severely wounded in the head, arm, and thigh, the prince succeeded in reaching the Pope's chamber. At the sight of her spouse, covered with blood, Lucretia sank to the floor in a swoon. Alfonso was carried to another room in the Vatican, and a cardinal administered the extreme unction. His youth, however, triumphed, and he recovered. Although Lucretia, owing to her fright, fell sick of a fever, she and his sister Sancha took care of him. They cooked his food, while the Pope himself placed a guard over him. In Rome there was endless gossip about the crime and its perpetrators. July 19th, the Venetian ambassador wrote to his signory, It is not known who wounded the duke, but it is said that it was the same person who killed the duke of Gandia and threw him into the Tiber. Monseigneur of Valentinois has issued an edict that no one shall be found with arms between the castle of Sant'Angelo and St. Peter's on pain of death. Caesar remarked to the ambassador, I did not wound the duke, but if I had, it would have been nothing more than he deserved. His hatred of his brother-in-law must have been inspired also by personal reasons of which we are ignorant. He even ventured to call upon the wounded man, remarking on leaving, What is not accomplished at noon may be done at night. The days passed slowly. Finally the murderer lost patience. At nine o'clock in the evening of August 18th, he came again. Lucretia and Sancha drove him from the room, whereupon he called his captain, Michelotto, who strangled the duke. There was no noise, not a sound. It was like a pantomime. Amid a terrible silence, the dead prince was borne away to St. Peter's. The affair was no longer a secret. Caesar openly stated that he had destroyed the duke because the latter was seeking his life, and he claimed that by Alfonso's orders some archers had shot him when he was strolling in the Vatican gardens. Nothing so clearly discloses the terrible influence which Caesar exercised over his wicked father as this deed, and the way in which the Pope regarded it. 
from the venetian ambassador's report it appears that it was contrary to alexander's wishes and that he had even attempted to save the unfortunate prince's life after the crime had been committed however the pope dismissed it from his mind both because he did not dare to bring caesar whom he had forgiven for the murder of his brother to a reckoning and because the murder would result in offering him opportunities which he desired he spared himself the trouble of directing useless reproaches to his son for caesar would have only laughed at them was the care with which alexander had his unfortunate son-in-law watched merely a bit of deceit there are no grounds for believing that the pope either planned the murder himself or that he consented to it never was a bloody deed so soon forgotten the murder of a prince of the royal house of naples made no more impression than the death of a vatican stable boy would have done no one avoided caesar none of the priests refused him admission to the church and all the cardinals continued to show him the deepest reverence and respect prelates vied with each other to receive the red hat from the hand of the all-powerful murderer who offered the dignity to the highest bidders he needed money for carrying out his schemes of confiscation in the romagna his condottieri paolo orsini giuliano orsini vitellozzo vitelli and ercole bentivoglio were with him during these autumn days his father had equipped seven hundred heavy men at arms for him and august eighteenth the venetian ambassador reported to the signory that he had been requested by the pope to ask the doge to withdraw their protection from rimini and faenza negotiations were in progress in france to secure her active support for caesar august twenty fourth the french ambassador louis de villeneuve made his entry into rome near santo spirito a masked man rode up and embraced him the man was caesar however openly he committed his crimes he frequently went about rome in disguise the murder of the youthful alfonso of aragon was by far the most tragic deed committed by the borgias and his fate was more terrible than even that of astore manfredi if lucretia really loved her husband and there is every reason to suppose she did his end must have caused her the greatest anguish and even if she had no affection for him all her feelings must have been aroused against the murderer to whose fiendish ambition the tragedy was due she must also have rebelled against her father who regarded the crime with such indifference none of the reports of the day describe the circumstances in which she found herself immediately after the murder nor events in the vatican just preceding it although lucretia was suffering from a fever she did not die of grief nor did she rise to avenge her husband's murder or to flee from the terrible vatican she was in a position similar to that of her sister-in-law doña maria enriquez after gandia's death but while the latter and her sons had found safety in spain lucretia had no retreat to which she could retire without the consent of her father and her brother it would be wrong to blame the unfortunate woman because at this fateful moment of her life she did not make herself the subject of a tragedy of a truth she appears very weak and characterless we must not look for great qualities of soul in lucretia for she possessed them not we are endeavouring to represent her only as she actually was and if we judge rightly she was merely a woman differentiated from the great mass of women not by the strength but by the graciousness of her nature this young woman regarded by posterity as a medea or as a loathsomely passionate creature probably never experienced any real feeling during the years she lived in rome she was always subject to the will of others 
for her destiny was controlled first by her father and subsequently by her brother we know not how much of an effort in view of the circumstances by which she was trammelled she could make to maintain the dignity of woman if lucretia however ever did possess the courage to assert her individuality and rights before those who injured her she certainly would have done so when her husband was murdered perhaps she did assail her sinister brother with recriminations and her father with tears she was troublesome to caesar who wished her away from the vatican consequently alexander banished her for a time and apparently she herself was not unwilling to go the venetian ambassador paolo capello refers to some quarrel between lucretia and her father he departed from rome september sixteenth fifteen hundred and on his return to venice made a report to his government on the condition of affairs in which he says madonna lucretia who was gracious and generous formerly was in high favor with the pope but she is no longer august thirtieth lucretia accompanied by a retinue of six hundred riders set out for rome for nepi of which city she was mistress there according to bouchard she hoped to recover from the perturbation which the death of the duke of piselli had caused her end of chapter sixteen